starting this series on fear today, obviously there's no shortage of symbols to draw from in our culture. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's several things you don't have to teach children. I never had to teach my children to say no. Come here, no. How did they, how did they learn that? You, you, don't te- you don't have to teach your children to say mine. They say mama, maybe dad, and mine. I don't know if you notice, you don't have to teach your children to be afraid. They kind of get it. Children will come to a certain age and they don't have to be taught fear. They naturally acquire it. Many children's stories have scary parts, Hansel and Gretel. And think about that. I was thinking about some of the things we, stories we tell our kids and some of the, like, nursery rhymes. Rockabye baby. Have you ever, have you ever listened to the words to that? Down will come baby, cradle and all, and bust your head open on the asphalt, and the cradle will fall on your head, and the tree will kill you. Go to sleep. As if the tone we sing it in negates the words. All you need for a child to begin to develop, excuse me, to begin to develop fear is a dark room and an imagination. And the pile of laundry in the corner starts to take on a form. And eyes peer through the cracked closet door that wasn't shut all the way. Lights are flipped on and, and, and the long jump record is set as kids take one footstep from the light switch to the bed and dive in. Screams are heard in the night. Mom! Night lights. Bedtime stories. Songs. You can do, I have done everything I could think of to say, look, Daddy's already climbed up under your bed. See the dust bunnies in my hair? There's nothing under the bed. There's, I've stood in the closet. I've stood in the closet. Look, look, I'm waving from the closet. There's nobody in here. But you turn the light off, and what will happen? That child will become convinced that something's there. You can do your best, and that child will still sometimes be afraid. Somehow, without being told, children know that they live in a world that's not safe. And then think about as that fear develops on into adolescence. I mean, the scary stories travel with the person. But, but they're not as cute in the teenage years. I mean, what was Rockabye Baby and Hansel and Gretel and the witch that wanted to, to burn them turns into Freddy Krueger and Chucky and Michael Myers and The Shining and Alien. And teens aren't so naive. Kids believe and are taught through children's stories, if you'll just be a good little boy or girl, the monster can't get you. But by the time the teen years come, teenagers aren't so naive. They realize that whatever it is lurking out there in the shadows doesn't care about the difference between naughty and nice. And then... then, those kinds of fear begin to prey on the self-esteem and then is introduced fear of being accepted, fear of being successful, fear of making the team, fear of making the grade, fear of growing up. 
And then you would think by the time we reach adulthood, we would have put away our childhood fears. I think it's the exact opposite. I think the fears grow. I think they grow with us. I think, the in, I think it's actually the enemy's plan to prey on us when we're innocent and young and unaware and to put that microchip of fear in us so he can track us into adulthood with it. And then all the things that life did to us then, he can begin, like a marionette, he can begin just to pull the strings in our adulthood and jerk us back. Pull us back into what he wants us to be. Still feared, filled with fear, but our fear starts to change in adulthood. It's less fantasy now, and it's more reality. The nightly news is basically the new horror reality show. Freddy Krueger has been replaced by Tom Brokaw. Our culture preys on fear. The systems of this world propagate fear. Reality TV will take a one in one million occurrence of something and give it national precedence at primetime news as if this is the thing that's going to happen to everybody. I, I read a story about a, uh, Barbara Walters on one of her shows. She did this special on how this guy was going into surgery and he had his oxygen mask on and the oxygen mask somehow caught on fire. And then the whole story is, have you ever wondered when you're being ushered down the hallway and you're going to be prepped for surgery. Has it ever crossed your mind as you're laying there about to be operated on, the anesthesia setting in, that your face mask could catch on? And then they show the burn victim. All we need is one picture of one victim, and we're done. I'm never having surgery again. You know, I, I'd rather die of the, of the broken arm than to have surgery now. You, you know what was revealed later? Oxygen mask blowing up while you're being prepped for surgery during it the chance of that happening is point zero 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 four. But yet you have people all over the country now because it's been given prime time. We have a constant influx of information that makes us afraid. Fear-based information. I'm not so sure it's good to know everything. Because every time one bad thing happens in the world, we're afraid now it's going to happen here. Do you know how Barbara Walters ended that show? She ended it with this statement. And this happens more often than you think. Well, I guess if I thought it never happened, I guess that's true. But point oh 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 four, it's not really batting a thousand. Can you put something in my mind that ought to at least be on my radar screen? Our culture preys on fear. I think much of the much of the energy we bring to parenting today is driven by fear. There is no common consensus in America anymore on what a good parent is. As the family is being redefined, the definition of what a good parent is is up for grabs. Who knows what a good parent is? And with the breakdown of the family being epidemic, so we've talked about the effect of the breakdown of the family and what a bad parent is, but I think there's a lot of people out there who don't know what a good parent is trying to be a good parent. I think a lot of average Americans are busting their brains out trying to be a good parent driven by fear. I'll be at every game and every practice and every event and every activity and every opportunity, and I just want my kids to have a better life than I had. And we're driven by fear. So afraid 
that I'll be the kind of parent my parents were, or I'll be the kind of parents that are on TV. Or uh, the more we say, hey, the divorce rate's up, the more, the more people who aren't divorcing are afraid. The more we say things are going bad, the more that people, people who don't have things going bad or don't, don't understand what a good parent is begin to drive themselves out of fear. Terrorist attack, financial meltdown, job losses, random violence, gangs, health care, super virus, swine flu, Y2K, school shootings, global warming, nuclear attack from Iran, a new kind of cancer, a shortage of honeybees. The world's ran out of helium. Did you know that? The polar ice caps are melting and are going to flood the earth. Your house is going to be underwater by noon. Heart disease, mad cow disease, SARS, West Nile, Ebola. Good grief. We're afraid of being sued, of finishing last, of going broke. We're afraid of the mole on our back. The newest competition. And the clock is always ticking toward the grave. The systems of our world propagate fear. Fear is one of the most powerful motivators, though. I think that's why in, in a season like this, where politics, where people are about to be reelected or not reelected, or elected, you hear a lot of fear-based. I mean, you've seen these ads, a lot of fear-based. <laughs> Stacy and I were getting ready for church last week, and this, uh, I don't even know who it was advertising, could care less. I knew which side they were on by their, by their, uh, <laughs> their advertisement. They were on the radio talking, and so-and-so, and if you'll elect him, he's going to, and, and he, he voted against Barack Obama. Then it went, and he, it would go in one tone, and then it would say, Barack Obama. And I thought, you have got to be kidding me. It's like, this is like Alfred Hitchcock. And, and, and this guy, and he's going to deliver you from this, and he's going to, you know, repeal this, and he's going to fix this, and, 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 and when Barack Obama, it's just like they just threw it in there just to shock you to death. Ooh, 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 I'll vote for him. I'll vote for him. Like you're zombies. It's crazy. Democrats say, if you vote them in, you'll lose your Social Security check, children will starve, and you'll have no health care. I don't feel afraid at all. Republicans say if you vote them in, taxes will go up, you'll lose your morals and the war on terror. And after a while, it's, it's just a lot of fear. It's just a lot of fear. We've called this series Scare Tactics. Scared into control. According to Report Magazine, listen to this. Ordinary children today are more fearful than psychiatric patients were in the 1950s. We live in a fear-drenched culture. We live in a fear-based world. John Paul... Pope John Paul II in 1978 and Pope Benedict in 2005 begin their papacies with the exact same four words. Do not be afraid. 
do not be afraid. Fear may be the greatest challenge of our time. I, I believe that fear, I think fear and deceit, and they usually work together. The enemy's greatest weapons against our mind and our soul and our families and our life is fear and he's the father of lies. But that's how he gets you to be afraid. He lies to you. And then you're afraid. What is fear? If you're taking notes, let me give you some things. I'm going to tell you some things fear is and some things fear does. Fear begins with self-preservation. Fear begins with self-preservation and it ends with self-consumption. I feel fear and I, I stretch out to, to border myself in, to protect myself. And the next thing you know, the walls are closing in on me. I react wrongly to that fear. Fear begins in self-preservation and it ends in self-consumption. One, one of the results of fear is I've never known a, a really fearful person that wasn't lonely. A fearful person feels abandoned. One of the enemy's greatest tricks in your life is to make you think you're having a solo experience and nobody's ever felt what you felt, nobody's ever gone through what you've gone through, and God can't help you. And that what Elijah said, he's twiddling his thumbs under the tree saying, Lord, I'm the only one left that serves you. And he said, well, I counted, there's 6,000. But you know what? Fear makes you irrational. You ever tried to, you ever tried to reason with a fearful person? You can't logic with them. You can't raise. No, look, 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 look. There's, look, that's not, there's nothing to be afraid of. You cannot, I'm telling you, you cannot logic with a fearful person. Let me give you better news than that. Not better, stronger. You can't logic with yourself when you're afraid. Fear does not operate on the principle of logic. <laughs> I thought fear was an information problem. Just tell them. Clearly they don't know. Just tell them. And you tell them and it won't penetrate. It hits titanium. It's not cutting through. Logic and reason and rationale is not cutting through fear. Fear is irrational because fear is exaggerated. Fear is a magnifying glass that exaggerates everything bad. Fear causes suspicion. I'm afraid, therefore... I don't know who to trust. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what's going on out there. Fear makes us powerless and vulnerable. <coughs> we experience fear when we get the feeling that something's going to happen that we can't control. Something we don't want to happen is going to happen and there's nothing we can do about it. Or, or, or something is not going to happen that we want to happen and there's nothing we can do about it. Fear makes us feel powerless. I, I can't, I, I see it coming. I'm, I'm, my feet are nailed to the tracks. The train's coming right at me. And I can't get away. It makes us feel vulnerable. You know, I, I can't prove it, but I'm, I'm I believe, I, I haven't went back and read the verse. I don't know if it says it. But my guess is when Adam and Eve first realized they were uncovered, the first thing they felt was fear. They ran and hid. 
They believed a lie. And, they, and, the, and the, the next thing that happened was fear. Was fear. Run and hide. Run and try to cover yourself. Somebody said that fear, if you, if you want to, if these things help you, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. The trick of fear is not that we shouldn't have any. You know, you're standing in the road, an 18-wheeler's coming at you. God wants you to feel fear. Because it might make you move. It's not that we shouldn't have any fear. Some fear's healthy. It's that we should have fear about the right things and in the right proportions. We tend to have fear of the wrong things in the wrong proportions. But fear, like any strong emotion, it wants to be boss. Fear wants to tell you what to do and when to do it. Fear doesn't trust easily. The greatest trick of the enemy, I believe, is a one-two punch combination of lying and fear. Lying and fear. Lying. Getting you to believe something that's not true so that you might be afraid. Fear, if you're taking notes, is a false prophet. Fear prophesies about your future falsely. Think about it. Most of the things you fear are in the future. Most of the times that you felt fear about life, it has been about the future. And fear is a false prophet. Prophesies to you, speaks to you, talks to you. This is going to happen. What if this happens? What if that happens? And then you find yourself, come on now, don't even make me ask you to raise your hand. And then you start inventing solutions to problems that hadn't even occurred. Well, if this happens, I'll do it. If that happens, I'll do it. If that happens, I'll do it. It, it, you're just like, ha, 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 ha. I'm tired. Why? Because something that's not happened yet might not. That's not rational. But fear, fear makes us crazy. The enemy wants us to believe a lie so that we'll be afraid. The enemy's plan, and I believe the reason that, that fear is one of the enemy's greatest tactics is because his his design his plan is to shrink you it's it's to shrink you to limit you to put borders on you that god never put on you to, and you know here's the deal it's almost like the the two brothers the one that talked the other one out of the birthright the enemy will talk you out of more than he'll ever steal from you trust me he'll talk you out of it he'll keep lying to you till you believe him and you'll just hand it over to him You'll just hand over. You'll hand over your peace. You'll hand over your joy. You'll hand over your confidence. You'll hand, you'll hand over your purpose. You'll, you'll hand over the things that you know God has put. You'll hand over the dream God has given you. You'll hand over the vision that God... You'll just hand it over. You'll be so far, well, that'll never happen. Oh, well, I, I don't know. What am I going to do now? I mean, I can, I can never be better. Or my child can never be better. Or, or I, I'll, never, I'll never be done with this. This will be the rest of my life. And those things circulate in our mind and because the enemy is trying to narrow you down. Like a little pencil, he wants to keep whittling you down until you totally back out and give him over everything God's tried to give you. You and I have given the enemy more than he's ever stolen. We've surrendered it. We've just walked in and handed it to him. As I, as I studied this, I ran across some common techniques that are in the... In the conversation and dealing with fear, let me give you a few things that 
people do. Some techniques to dealing with fear. I'm not saying you should use these. It's okay. They're not bad. They're not from Satan or anything. But one of the techniques is called to replace a thought. In other words, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, whatever, I'm thinking something bad's going to happen, so I try to stop that, and then I replace it with, oh boy, didn't we have a good day yesterday? Didn't we have fun? I try to, re- I try to replace a thought. And you've heard the whole thing, you know, you're overwhelmed, close your eyes, picture you're on, you know, a plush, uh, deserted island, and, you know, p- put yourself in a, in a peaceful place in your mind. Go to, go to Hawaii in your mind, you know, go to, and, and picture that. Look, I, those are okay. I'm not saying those are, I'm not saying those are, those are bad. They do have some level of effectiveness. Here's what they're effective at doing. They interrupt your fear, but they'll never, they'll never cure it. They interrupt it. It's almost like Lamaze. It's the pattern that interrupts the messages that go to the brain, but it's never going to solve it. It'll just interrupt it and give you give you temporary reprieve, temporary relief. Let me give you another one that, and just stay with me. Stay with me till the end of the message, and I'll explain it. I think that we as Christians have also used Scripture in that way. And I, I'm confessing to you today, I've counseled people like this. And as I've dug into this, I've realized I, I've counseled people wrong. I said, look, you're dealing with fear? Okay, let me give you the scriptures that talk about fear in the Bible. I'll give you those scriptures. You'll be armed with the truth of God's word. But remember, rationale, you're dealing with, a ir, you're dealing with an irrational thing. Let me give you these scriptures and you say, okay, and when you feel fear, I want you to claim them. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And let me tell you what happens. When fear comes in, you quote those scriptures and fear goes away and then fear comes back. Because like other techniques, it interrupts the fear. It doesn't deal with it. I'm not blaspheming. Give me a chance. Because what happens is... You've actually now been set up for a greater trap of the enemy because you'll say, I, I took the scripture that God said, I memorized it, and I quoted it every time I was afraid. And, and, I, and the enemy's saying to you, see, here's what he's saying to you. See, even God won't work. That's what he's telling you. He's tormenting your mind. And he's saying, you've tried it. You did the good little Christian thing, and it didn't work. There, what's his trap? What, what's, his, what's his tactic? Now, you're alone. God has worked for everybody but you. And he's not going to work for you. Because you say, I've done everything I was told to do. And, and, and now look where I'm at. Look at 1 John 4, 15. How does God deal with fear? How does God deal with fear? 1 John 4, 15. We'll read through 18. If anyone acknowledges... That Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love 
drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The next four weeks, today and the next three weeks, we're going to talk about. Paul said, I do not want you to be ignorant of the strategies of the enemy. This series is designed to take the mask off fear and expose it for what it is and how the enemy's tried to work in your life and equip you with understanding that'll free you. And we'll start this morning. I had to start. I had, I'm going to give you the big deal right up front. This is, the big, this is the big deal and everything else flows out of it. These are some of the most plain verses in the entire Bible. I, I've, I, I've be honest with you, I've spent way too much time studying those four verses. Because I kept thinking, there's got to be something in the Greek. There's got to be something under it. There's got to be more. Can I tell you, I've looked up, I don't know how many Greek words in the background and read commentary. Can I tell you something? It pretty much means what it says. I'll save you a lot of time. It's real clear. It's real simple. It's real basic. It's real plain. It pretty much means exactly what it says. God, here's what it says. God has a way of dealing with fear. And here it is. Love. Love is God's way of dealing with fear. Think about the child who will scream in the night, but who will come and snuggle up in your bed between you and your spouse, and you hold that shivering little body, and in minutes, that child is asleep. Love has conquered that child's fear. God put that in the kingdom. God's way of dealing with fear is love. This scripture says fear has to do with punishment. Did you catch that phrase? Fear has to do with punishment. When we learn that God's not angry or quick to punish us, love is working in us. Now, now I've seen two extremes. Fearful people tend to go to one of two extremes. They either say, I've done something wrong. They tend to interpret circumstances of life one or two as I've done something wrong and God is punishing me because I've done something wrong and that's why I'm, this bad's on my life. Or when a bad circumstance comes, they tend to say, God doesn't care about me because if he cared about me, he'd do something about this. And, and a person who lives in fear tends to interpret life circumstances one of two ways. Either I'm bad and God's punishing me, or God's bad and he's not helping me. It's that simple. But, but, when, but when love feels the heart, it drives out fear. A few years ago, I, I went to a, a man's house that had passed away. He was a, dear, a dad of one of my dear friends. And as I went into that house, he had battled cancer five years. And the doctor said, as he neared the end, they said, um, there's no medical reason that he's still alive. There's no medical reason he's still hanging on. They said, he's still alive because he's afraid. And the fear had, I guess, suppose, risen the adrenaline level in his body and kept him unnaturally alive. 
And as I visited his home, his relatives gathered around who were his peers. And some of them said, he was afraid when he died he wouldn't go to heaven. Because we were taught wrong. We were taught you had to earn your salvation. And he was a board member, and he was a deacon, and he was a good guy, and he was moral, and he never cheated anybody, and he prayed, and he, but he couldn't ever believe it was enough. Fear has to do with punishment. But perfect love, the Bible says, drives out all fear. I did find a couple interesting things about that word perfect. That's a hard word for us in the English language because it seems to mean to us without flaw or error and we could never see anything perfect in our life. The word perfect means complete, mature, love that has grown up. Love that has grown up inside us. Love that's completed its work. Love that drives out fear is complete love. Do you know... As you struggle with fear, can I tell you one of the things the fear in your life is telling you? The fear in your life is telling you that you're more distant from God than you think. When I experience flashes of fear, when I live in bouts of fear, that fear is telling me something if I listen to it. Perfect love drives out fear. It's telling me that I'm not as close to God as I think I am. It's telling me that there's an area of my life that I'm trying to work on by myself and, and I'm, not, I'm not bringing it up under God's covering. I'm not, I'm not trusting God. I'm, I'm, I'm lacking faith in this area somehow. All solutions, I'm not against the techniques. The techniques may give you the mental break that you need to understand. All solutions to fear flow out of relationship with the Father. All of them. Phobias, fears, worry, anxiety. I'm I'm telling you, as we go along in this fast-paced, pressurized world, we're going to have to become better equipped in dealing with fear and anxiety. Most illnesses, the medical community tells us, are brought on by anxiety, fear, worry, issues of the mind. Physical sicknesses are brought on by issues of the mind. The medical community tells us the majority are. Because we're, we're living in a pressurized fear culture that is just absolutely mashing just mashing the brain cells out of people. And it's a tactic of the enemy. I mean, culture provides the the stage, but the enemy's more than happy to play his role out on it, take advantage of it, piggyback on it. All solutions to fear flow out of relationship with the Father. So the question to you this morning is, as you experience fear, worry, anxiety, the question you have to ask is, how's my relationship with Jesus? How, how's my prayer time? How's my Bible reading? How, can I hear His voice? How is God's love 
growing in you? Is His love growing in you? Is His love maturing in you? Has love finished its work in you? Has it matured inside you? What I said to you a minute ago is, we can claim Scripture, and listen to me for a minute, we can claim Scripture to try to combat fear. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. I've told people to say it. I'm not saying don't say it. I'm saying it's you can't you can't divorce the technique of claiming scripture in your life from a growing relationship from him and it work. I'm telling you the big deal, love drives out complete love, growing love, maturing love drives out. It throws out. One translation says it throws away all fear. But you, you can't just grab a, 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 a scripture card and just repeat it over and over and over until it works. This isn't God's formula book for happy living. This isn't God's, this book is a God book. It's not a God book to get you through life. It's a God book to get you to God. And once you get to Him, you, you realize you didn't need anything else. He is, He's complete. He's everything. And the closer you get to Him, the more His love will chase out fear. It'll chase it out. Do you know, do you know in the Bible, do you know in the Scripture, the number one command that's most often given from Genesis to Revelation We've heard, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbors yourself. The Ten Commandments. Think about all the commands, all the directions you know from Scripture. Do you realize the number one most often given command through the entire Bible is do not be afraid? 300 times the Bible issues some version of do not be afraid. I think it's because God knows our, our leanings toward fear. You, you know, like like when the angel would appear to Mary, Virgin Mary's about to, you know, have this entire experience birthing God's, and the angel appears, and the first thing he says when he walks in the room is, do not be afraid. You know, I, I used to think that when the angels would appear, or there's some experience that would happen with God, the first thing he would say is, do not be afraid, because the appearance of the angel would be so startling. I don't think that's it. I think the reason the first thing that God would say is don't be afraid because He knows we can't hear His voice when we're scared. We can't hear. You can't hear God when you're afraid. It's irrational. It's, it, it won't penetrate. So the first thing that God says is, before I tell you anything, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because our ears open when fear is calmed. And we can hear. Perfect love drives out all fear. So you say, are you saying that I should go and seek God and and pursue my devotions with Him because I don't want to be afraid? I thought we were only supposed to seek God out of pure motives. If all you had were pure motives, you wouldn't need God. I'm saying to you, he's all right with it. If you're afraid, go do your devotions. Go with ulterior motive. 
But just keep going. Keep reading your Bible. Keep, keep developing the relationship with Him. Keep growing in love. Keep letting love grow in you. And what will happen is you'll go because you're afraid and you don't want to be afraid anymore. But while you're doing it, you'll fall in love with Him. And His love will fill your heart. And it will drive out all fear. You can stand. I'm telling you, you can stand. I've been with people. You can stand to your purple in the face and say, perfect love drives out all fear. Perfect love drives out all fear. Perfect love drives out all fear. But it's not gone. It might interrupt it for a little while, but it'll come back. There's only one cure. It's God's presence. It's His living presence in you now. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. His presence will drive the fear.